Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Dr. Sagona, Mary Haddix, who's on break for this one, and Sean Rincunas, who is also on break, but from school, he's here with us. Um, <laughs> Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that make their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Our quote of the day is, Japanese orchestras are generally playing at a high level on the first day of rehearsal, but they don't improve very much from there. Joe Hisashi. And today, Joe Hisashi is the return guest of our podcast today. And for those who don't know, who haven't caught the first three, um, Joe Hisashi is a Japanese composer and music director and most acclaimed film composer in Japan. And Hunter, it was very easily to see that the success of the first three were pretty monumental in building our fan base with this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a good idea to just kind of discuss our I mean, his feature films. I mean, we talked about a lot of his animated movies with Studio Ghibli. We talked a lot about his animated shorts. Um, But I thought this time we should just mainly focus on his feature-length films. So that's what we're going to do. Sounds good to me. And off we go. And uh, we'll be right back. Okay, and as our document says, even more Joe Hisashi is the title of this podcast. We are on our fourth podcast, right, Hunter? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you said it so funny the other day when we were talking about our third podcast. You were like, part three, number two, number one. I thought that was pretty impressive, the way you sort of strung all those different words together and just thinking about different kind of podcasts we've done. On this particular topic specifically... Um, Today, we're going to talk about some feature-length films by Joe Hisashi. And the first thing we're going to talk about is when we and Hunter were only one year old Mm -hmm. uh, in the year of our Lord, 1996, featuring the main theme from Kids Return. Uh, Hunter, the plot is two high school students find disappointment and failure as they pursue careers in the boxing ring and the mob. It says that at the time of its release, Kids Return was Takashi's Kitano's most successful film yet in his native Japan, which until then had been notably less enthusiastic about his films than international viewers. Ron Tomatoes gives his film a 100% approval rating based on reviews from five critics with an average score of 7.8 out of 10. David Wood, writing for the BBC, describes it as a tender, funny, and melancholy fare which will come as a delight to ardent admirers after the regent, sorry, the regent Kikijiro. He gave the film four out of five stars. Hunter, this one is a really interesting one because when we start to listen to it, I don't immediately mm-hmm. think Joe Hisashi. Do you? No, the 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 kids' voices at the at the beginning are are mm-hmm. an interesting touch, yeah. and it has a very period sound, like it. You know, this is like you said, ninety six, mm-hmm. and 
it really, to me, does scream 1990s, which is not necessarily how I would describe a lot of Hisashi's music. You know what I mean? He's mm -hmm. usually writing in this very film score-like way. Right. And this one does not immediately come across as film score. It sounds like something, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe like the, the soundtrack to a 90s TV show or something. You know what I mean? Like something a right. little... Um, something a little more what's the word i'm looking for i don't want to say raw that's not the word i'm looking for but i'll use that as just a lack of a better word dramatic it's definitely dramatic and i mean okay. he does dramatic very well but it's just it's for those listening he might you, you know if you heard this it's not doesn't scream hisashi right away okay yeah you know for me it screamed ethereal Mm -hmm. It was very open, and I think I, I said that to a colleague. Uh, I was trying to defend my love of Joe Isashi versus John Williams, and he was like, why? And I'm like, well, he does a really great job of, again, the landscape like John Williams, but he does a good yeah. job of, of mixing emotions with other emotions, then creating the minimalistic aspect that we mm -hmm. perceive as great music. You know? And with those ideas of minimalism... Hunter, you really alluded to that about how we hear these voices come in and out. And I actually, I think that they're actually in a loop. I don't think that they're very like consistent with a certain kind of tempo, but they take like one segment of this voice and they just kind of reanimate it as we're going along. And I think that's exactly what he's doing with that. Um, and then the beat drops, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, bam, and then it becomes a pop tune. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, you're right. That is yeah. a, that is a good way of describing it. It is almost like a pop tune. Yeah, you know, and we know that Joe Hisashi loves the synthesizer, so he has to have mm -hmm. a little synth solo in there. Um, definitely fits the mood, and then also his love of electric guitar, as we heard in Hanabi the other day, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it is because you know all that adds to sort of the the time frame here. Mm -hmm the the track looping for the for the voice the electric guitar um the synth it's all things coming out of the 80s mm -hmm. where you know those things were really becoming popular not so much just in pop but now we see them entering into the soundtrack world right and it's clearly going to pave uh, pave the way for future um composers and, and really even for hisashi himself who is obviously still working mm -hmm. in the same industry you know, it, it's sort of helping to develop his style. Right. No, I, I I totally agree. And Hunter, there was a moment where everything seems so mechanical. And mm -hmm. it could have because it could that that idea could become from the idea of minimalism. So I wrote it felt like I was in a video game. I definitely get that from mm -hmm. not just this one, but actually a couple of the ones that we'll talk about later. I definitely yeah. get that feeling from it. Okay. And so I, I had that initial reaction to that. And, you know, I know Hunter is starting to uh, frown at this thought because I've mentioned it so much when we listen to Joe Hisashi's music, which is his descending motion within his jazz theory and chord progressions. Mm -hmm. That becomes very apparent within this one because we just kind of notice it. And it's just so easy for him to, to use that technology because we, we've heard him use it so many times. And, then we say, initially, you know, I was like, oh, this doesn't sound like Joe. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. Yes, we hear the descending fifths motion. It is Joe because Joe likes that sound of mel melodic 
easy tension versus release. And it's very easy to kind of make that suggestion. Which it's interesting to note that because this mm -hmm. was 1996, this is before a lot right. of the other stuff of his we've listened to, which all came in mm -hmm. the early 2000s. That's right. 2000s and into the 2010s. That's right. So this would have been one of his first, maybe not first forays, but this would have been earlier in his career. Right. Yeah. And we mentioned that with John Williams about how like his arc of his career began with really strong background in landscape writing, background mm -hmm. writing. And then his theme writing came later. So can we see sort of the same transition with Joe? Like we can say like his his melodic contour was great, but maybe not his maybe aesthetically pleasing um, after sounds. Because I felt like I felt like this was a good composition. I didn't feel like it was one of his best compositions. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think to your point, we are going to see the the same pattern that we saw with Williams with him, especially as we get into the late 2000, uh, late 2010s, mm -hmm. uh, not 2010s, the late first mm -hmm. decade of the 2000s, right. um, which we'll talk about then. Right, yeah. Hunter, I thought it was also interesting. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. Um, under the YouTube video that mm -hmm. that says everything that he's done, listen to everything that Joe Hisashi did for this, this piece. He was a producer, associated performer, recording arranger, synthesizer, and composer. Isn't yeah, that ridiculous? So yeah. But he was clearly not just involved in the writing, but really right. the whole production of the piece. I think that's ridiculous. But also, it doesn't surprise me because he wants to be a part of that process. So I guess that makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense. Let's move on to the next one, which definitely was on the longer side of the recording session. But I also thought that this one might have been my favorite out of all the ones that we listened to today because, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like spoiling it for the other four, but I feel like um, I'm setting it up for success because this one was very beautiful and it is from uh, Brother, uh, a film released in 2000. Uh, the track is called I Love You, Aniki, and here's the plot. Abandoned by the brotherhood of his Yakuza clan, tough guy Yamamoto, beat Takashi, is forced to leave Tokyo. He goes to Los Angeles in search of Ken, Claude Maki, his younger half-brother. Alone with a new identity, Yamamoto finds himself frustrated by foreign surroundings, especially since he doesn't speak the language. Impressed with Europeans' interest in Yakuza, Kitano, the director, wrote what he described as an old-fashioned Yakuza film. To greater contrast the character against more familiar elements, he set in a foreign country, choosing Los Angeles as a placeholder. When producer Jeremy Thomas asked Katano if he was interested in foreign productions, Katano told him about the script. Thomas promised him complete creative control, which Katano said he got. Commentating on the differing styles of filmmaking, Katano said American productions are more focused on the business side and less sentimental. Katano cited their strong pride in their professionalism as a positive aspect. You know, Hunter, you know, something that's really interesting about Joe Hisashi's music is that, you know, we'll see it later with, with some other of his compositions, is that most of the filmmakers just go directly to him and they mm -hmm. say, what are, you, what are you thinking about this? <laughs> they don't really have an image until they go to Joe Hisashi. 
And then Joey's like, you know, I'm thinking about this. And they go, mm-hmm. I have a script. Let's go. <laughs> so in a way, yeah. it just seems planned. Like they don't really know what they're going to do until they listen to Joe's music, which I think is really interesting. So in this one, obviously, you know, we're sort of sticking with the whole very depressed theme of like, <laughs> where am I and how can I deal with my foreign surroundings of, you know, Americans? Jeez, not kidding. Um, how can we, how can we, <laughs> yeah, how can we deal with all that? Um, and this love theme that comes in is just, it's so, it, it is, it is very percussion based. There's a little bit of yes, like, it, it almost feels like there's some breathing in there that kind of adds to this atmosphere. And then it starts with this very sexy tango. It's very kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not going to say it is. It's very nice and it's schmaltzy and it's very cool. And uh, one of the coolest instruments of all time, Hunter, do you, do you know what instrument that I'm uh, alluding to here? It couldn't possibly be your trumpet, could it? I think it actually might be. Um, the trumpet comes in. Uh, sounds like a very cool Chet Baker to me. It really does. You know, yeah. I noted that. I, I mm-hmm. said, it, you know, it has this very soft, but yeah. um, very sort of 60s jazz, sort of mm-hmm. um, almost reminiscent of like some old film noir mm-hmm. um, or, or like, you know, the early gangster films of, of right. like maybe even the 60s and 70s. Um, but it does give this very echoey, eerie feel to it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You could see, like, you know, in the rain, they've got their they've got their coats and the the glasses. And actually, I watched the um, the trailer for the movie, and hearing this because because they, they didn't use the they didn't use this music in the trailer. But seeing the trailer, you're like. Oh yeah, I totally see this. They're all wearing sunglasses, and mm-hmm. you know they're wearing black, and you're, and you're like, oh, okay, I get where this is going. Right. Yeah. You know. You know what's also interesting is, I don't mean this in the meanest way possible, but um, Joe Hisashi's music sometimes sounds like lounge music, and I know what you I mean. don't. I, I don't know, know how to mean. react to that because obviously. I try to mean maybe his his music is classy mm-hmm. because it is, and I understand his jazz background, and maybe that's where he he began. Like maybe that's where he started writing his own music, maybe in lounges for fancy hotels or something like that. Um, and it does sound like that. It does sound like Porco Rosso. I know I keep bringing yes, up very this much film. So this one really yeah. did sound like Porco Rosso. That is exactly what I thought when I heard it. Right. I don't mean to try to like connect other movies to his movies, but it sounds very similar to that. Like it sounds very classy and laid back and kind of like, you know, um, just one of those, like you can just kind of put on headphones. And you're like, Oh, this is so nice. I'm relaxing. No, it's all good. So, and then from the trumpet solo, then we have a clarinet solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I thought was very, sorry, go ahead, Hunter. Oh, no, all, all I was going to say was, mm-hmm. it is also interesting to think about the fact that, you know, jazz being a, an American invention, um, mm-hmm. this movie is set, you know, at least at least for half of it, I think, or, or more than half, is set in America, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, which wouldn't I, I wouldn't say is the you know, jazz capital of America, but 
even still it is America. So I feel like jazz is often associated with America. So in this case, maybe that's why he threw this in because this foreign environment mm -hmm. to a, to maybe a Japanese audience would seem a little more, I don't want to say exotic, but you know what I mean? Maybe that's what he was mm -hmm. going for playing to the fact that he, this is a Japanese man. You've got this drum beat, which is maybe more um, like the Japanese aspect of it. But then mm -hmm. the, the jazz side of the composition could be more representative of America. Yeah, And, definitely. you know, the eerie trumpet sound, we said very gangster movie. I know in the in the film, mm -hmm. he's expand, you know, he comes to America and he, span, he expands his own empire, like his own little criminal gang kind of thing. Okay. And they make the mistake of crossing the Italian mafia in Los Angeles. Wow. And that's where the big blowout happens in the film. Yeah. And so, like, you could see, like, obviously, you know, you've got Japanese culture, Italian-American culture. So now they're at odds, which is interesting because Porco Rosso is about Italy. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a very interesting web of, of different ideas. I feel like he made that connection when he wrote the movie. He was like, you know what? This makes a I lot of sense. So. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Um, you know, and then, Hunter, we always like to mention that Joe Sashi is a great performer. So then he invites himself to a, to a solo for a little while, you know? Yep. And, you know, and then I wrote, I wrote this. I think um, it just, it, it fit, it feels like it fits so well, like in a pocket, you know what I mean? Like it just, it just, yeah. it just fits so well. Like it just kind of like, if you put it in one thing, it just kind of fits really well. And you kind of like, you get that kind of the feeling of like what, what it actually looks like. Um, um, and, you know, and then it returns to trumpet. Thank you, Joe Hasashi. And, and then, I think I try to to describe the aesthetic of of this um, this piece, and I, I thought warmth and and delicacy and a Fabergé egg, as I, I like to coin the phrase. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> as we as we've been finding about on these podcasts, um, very repetitive, but I think we get the point. Like it's very it's a love scene. Very it doesn't have to be too intense. I think. It's just supposed to set the mood, very landscape-like. Um, and yeah, you know, and Joe ends at the piano, and right at the end, there's just like a little nice little shimmer that just kind of goes, and just kind of ends. So it's very like, it's a very nice like chill jazz solo that just, it just sounds so good. Yeah. Any other thoughts that you might have, Hunter? No, just that, you know, about six minutes, because the, the piece is like seven and a half minutes long, at about, at about six minutes in, mm -hmm. you get that real Hisashi sound, um, mm -hmm. and there's this, like, repeating ostinato underneath it, which sort of adds oh, yeah. to your um, mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. concept that it's, you know, he, he uses a lot of minimalist techniques. Yeah. So I think it helps it end in a very, you know, we talked about familiarity. We like when mm -hmm. things are familiar. Helps it end in a more familiar way. Right. No, I, I can't agree anymore. Um, and with that, Hunter, I think it's time for us to take a break. How do you feel about that? Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> He's tired, everybody.
Uh, it's the morning. Uh, we are going to take a break. Um, sponsored by our friends at Anchor. And if you would like to subscribe to these podcasts, that would make Hunter very happy. We'd finally get him a pair of shoes for once. Um, and if you would like to contribute to our podcast, please consider going to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast. Again, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, sponsored by our friends of Anchor. And more Joe Hisashi on the way, so stay with us. Okay, and we're back with even more Joe Hisashi, as it says on my document. Uh, Hunter, it's time to discuss the movie Dolls, which released in the year of our Lord, 2002, the palindromic year of our Lord. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, actually, it is true, by the way, 2002, no, I'm kidding. Okay, we're going to talk about the main theme, and here is the plot of the movie Dolls. In this visually stunning drama, three romantic tales are told using elements of Japanese bunraku puppet theater. In the first, Sawaku, Miho Kano, becomes suicidal with her fiancé Matsumoto, played by Hidotoshi Nijijima, leaves her to marry the boss's daughter. Next, an obsessed fan, Nukui, played by Sosomu Takashi, eh? expresses his love for pop singer Haruna, Kayoko Fukada, in a highly violent manner. Then, aging gangster hero, Tatsu Miyashi, the actor, attempts to reconnect with an old flame, Chiko Matsubara. Hunter, the film, and each of its vignettes revolve closely around the theme of death. It was Kintano's intent to show death as neither good nor bad, but as a relative event. In a known interview, Katano said, the reason why modern Japanese and Westerners loathe the notion of death so much is beyond me. There really is no reason to loathe death, adding how you perceive this film can considerably defer depending on the position where you stand. Quite interesting. Huh. I thought that was quite interesting. Yes. So, Hunter, what I wrote was strings, exclamation point. Not sure exactly what that means, but I think the strings were involved <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning of the soundtrack that we listened to. Um, and I also wrote that the synthesizer returns mm -hmm. a very yep, opening session. Um, Joe returns on piano. I think it's pretty ethereal and open and very interpretive of kind of like, as we were mentioning with brothers, a little bit of kind of like open phrasing. I mean, anyone can kind of solo if they want, you know? Um, and that's what I think this, this is. It's a little bit, it, it, it feels a little free. Like I'm not going to say free jazz because if I say free jazz, people are going to be like, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> no, I think, I think that the thing that the loose term is very improvisatory. So yeah, I can see it, that. So you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not super planned out. doesn't feel like no. for me. And so, it's not highly melodic either. Yeah. What do you, what do you think before I continue? Well, my, my first note was exactly what you said, which was broad ethereal opening and, you know, use of synth and strings. And I feel like to your point about improvisatory, mm -hmm. I feel like the soundtrack could be interpreted at, or at least from the, the track we listen to, could be interpreted as like, as the movie is interpreted, which is that it's a very artsy film, clearly done in a very, um, 
in a very creative way. So the music can't be too definite. It has to be interpretable somehow. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with something so broad, so so open, with synth and the strings, and then this this piano that sort of glistens over the top, mm-hmm. you need you know that could be interpreted in many different ways as well. So I feel like it needs sure. to in order to fit with the film. You right. can't have like you know these, you know the 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 plots of the of the movie defined by very definitive themes. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. not. It doesn't seem like in a film like this. Sure, sure, yeah, I agree. And and something else that's interesting is Hunter. I almost feel like this composition is kind of like a clock. I know we said it feels a little unorganized, not like something like that, but it also feels like it kind of like just kind of chugs around, you know. And it, it feels like it's very rudimentary. Yeah. So like in a way, when I'm in like a clock, I guess it's like a like a head chart. Where like you read something, but it's very it's it's planned, but also it adds these improvisatory elements where it's like you read down a tune, but then you play over it, you improvise, and then you play mm-hmm. it again, and then that's it. So that's that's my takeaway from that, and I I think that that's where I think that Joe Isasi's jazz knowledge comes into play here because he's writing a piece kind of like like a like a head like a head chart, you know, like he's writing out a tune. He's like, oh, here's the background part. I'm gonna play over this. You're gonna play over that. And that's it. And I feel like that's kind of like the basis of this. And you know, with that little snippet that I read about how, you know, like everyone's interpretation is different. So then it feels like, you know, we have this major theme of death, right? And, you know, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And so Joey's like, you know, here's one thing. And I'm not going to say it's this or that. I'm going to say it's a kind of a plentiful lot of different things. And these vignette, these film vignettes that they're writing doesn't necessarily have to follow the same line, but definitely has the same theme to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think this kind of like, maybe, you know what I mean? Yes, I do say? know. Okay. okay. Yes, cool. I, I do know what you're, I do know the, the, not form. I'll say form that you're, yeah. that you're describing because mm-hmm. it. I I noted as well that like. To me, the pieces of it's like there's many different pieces to this soundtrack, and he's interwoven them together. Not that they were right. written to, together. Mm-hmm. He interwove them. You know what I mean? Um, much like the plot mm-hmm. of the film itself, where it's like there are these separate vignettes. They weren't written to be together, but they are woven together to make mm-hmm. a story, just like right. the pieces were woven together to make a score. Right. They work. They have some sort of structure to them, whether it's more definite or not, but they come together. Right. Yeah. And shockingly, there's no ending. <laughs> That's right. I do. And, you know, I think I was going to ask you about that, having me gone to therapy and all that and if we ended up feeling anything at the end, but um, I, I wrote, it feels like good background music. The foreground is pretty present, but I feel like the more important part is the background of the uh-huh. score to me. Um, that's what I observed and I feel like I, I learned a lot from. So, yeah. Are you ready to talk about the next movie, my friend? Indeed I am. Okay, so the next movie is called Welcome to Dogman Cole, uh, released in the year 2005. And we're talking about the main theme 
And here's a little bit of plot from the movie. Soldiers from an old war live amongst local villagers. Fate brings together a crash-landed U.S. fighter pilot, three North Korean soldiers, and two South Korean soldiers. Having been impressed by Park Kwang Hyun's 2002 short film, My Nikkei, film it, Suhuda CEO Jang Jin gave him a new project to direct an adaptation of one of Jang's successful stage plays called Welcome to Dog Mankol. The film script was the result of a 18 months of brainstorming between Jang, Park, and the visual supervisor, Kim Jong. The film was originally budgeted for around 4 million yen, 4 billion yen, I mean, as there were no big stars, mostly actors acquainted with Jang or affiliated with Film and Suda. However, filming and post-production CGI took Lamoch longer than expected, and the budget skyrocketed to $8 billion, putting Jang's company in trouble. For a small production company like Film Suda, failing with this film would have been catastrophic. Park had been a huge fan of Japanese animation director Hayao Miyazaki's work since he watched Future Boy Conan as a child. One of Miyazaki's most important collaborators was composer Hunter, drumroll please, Joe Hisashi. Park mm -hmm. liked Hisashi's music so much that he wrote the script thinking about his music. Visualizing the scenes in his mind while listening to his past work. Now, during pre-production, the producer Lee and Hua asked Park who the best music director for the project would be. Park immediately answered Hunter. Uh, could it be Joe Hisashi? <laughs> it is Joe Hisashi. Lee then wrote a very heartfelt letter to Hisashi explaining their situation and translating the script into Japanese for Hisashi's consideration. Hisashi accepted the proposal, later stating that he was moved by the enthusiasm and the sincerity in the letter, choosing Welcome to Dogman Cole as his first ever Korean film. Wow. I think that as I was reading through that story, I was so happy to share that because it just shows how Joe is such a kind human being uh -huh. and it shows that he is able to just kind of get out of his own way and say, I, I, I love what these people are doing and I want to be a part of the conversation, uh -huh. you know? So I think that's, that's quite beautiful and very lovely. Um, okay, Hunter. So let's talk about the main theme from welcome to Dogman Cole, which is, I thought very patient and calm, explorative, beautiful. Mm -hmm. What do you I think? think so. Yeah. Well, I think just I think like some of the other stuff we've we've listened to, there's definitely you know elements that he's experimenting with, but this sounds I think very very Hisashi. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. At least let let me put it this way: it sounds <laughs> like a lot of the scores to his animated movies, which mm -hmm. were the first mm -hmm. things that we were looking at by him. And I feel like is you know those are the things most people know him here right. for. So when hearing this score, you're like, oh, okay, if I didn't know it was him, you might you might be able to work it out because it does bear his signature right. sound. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's neat that he, in a lot of these pieces, have used some of the native instruments to his, his um, part of the world. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, there's this like, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a Kodo drum. I don't think it is, but it it's this very different sounding drum. It sounds a little more hollow. Um, and this, uh, I can't think of the name of it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a guitar or it looks like a guitar and it's used with like a, like a, not a, not a fan, but like a, a pick, large pick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the instrument that's playing in it. It sounds a little bit like a guitar. It has a very twangy sort of, you know, what we would think of here in the Western world as a very Eastern sound, um, which very clearly sets the mood. You know, it really paints, as you put it, the landscape Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. where this is taking place. That's right. Yeah. And again, Hunter, I said this sounds like a video game. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. It just, I mean, the atmosphere of it just sounds so like that. And I think I wrote... I think I wrote something like vocally so calm and a little like Nino Kuni, as we were mentioning before with that video game oh, aesthetic. Yeah. So I kind of wrote that down thinking that again, I don't like comparing works to other composers, like from, from works to works, but it, it makes sense. Like that's maybe what he drew that from. Maybe he used this composition to then make that next suggestion for that. So I'm just curious, like, Maybe you can help me discover this answer, which is why does some of this music sound like video game music? Well, you know, we've talked about video game music in the past, and I think that part of the job of a video game music composer mm-hmm. is to as quickly as possible immerse the player mm-hmm. in the world. Because, you sure. know, playing a video game, this world is not real. It's not like a movie where you are looking at actors in a setting that it might not be real but the stuff on screen is real Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so in a video game the composer's job is to because none of it is real Mm -hmm. none of it looks real (laughs) right away i mean maybe it does look yeah what video game you're playing but like you know zelda and mario and you know looking at that you're like that's that's not reality so (laughs) composers have to immediately in some way pull the listener in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and make them say, okay, when you hear this, you know, you are in the world of fill in game title. Um, (laughs) So so with this one, you know, I feel like because they're trying to set a mood, a period so quickly, Mm -hmm. the composer in this case, Hisashi needed to do something of the same. He needed to say, I got to pull you in fast, make you invested in the world of this character because Right. Not to say, I mean, you know, the war was real, so not to say that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. Oh. What happens when you sleep till like 9.20? Um, <laughs> so I think that, that that could be one of the reasons. Right, yeah. And the beauty of being a part of the conversation, too, of wanting to, to put your words in. And I think that's exactly what Joe Isashi did with this work. He wanted to just mm-hmm. try to find this this great feeling. And we talked about minimalism too. And I think there's a definite aspect of minimalism in this piece as well that mm-hmm. just helps build. And, and, and you said it so beautifully in the last episode. I listened to you talk about it and you were like so eloquent and you were like words were just kind of dripping. Okay. Um, it, it, you said you said this beautiful thing in our episode. You said it's like every time we get back to the same melody, it just recycles. But he adds new material as we're going along. 
And I think exactly what you said they're doing in this. Did world. I say that? <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm I'm quite astonished by this Martin Marky making this. No, kidding. I know. Um, right? It is shocking. So I I do enjoy checking out exactly what's happening as we're going along. And it, it's so beautiful. I think it just fits so well. And like you said, like it just kind of filters it way and develops over time. And I don't want to, again, well, I get, I guess I do. I do want to like mentioning how, you know, when you think about other, other pieces of him, this piece also reminds me of spirited away. And that like, as we're going uh -huh. along, more music gets developed and we just continue and we keep thinking about what's, what's kind of developing in there. Um, you know, and you know, again, Hunter, the end of this piece is glorious. It just kind of rises to this great crescendo and then it's away. It's gone. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go to my therapist and I say, you know, the ending of this piece was, was too traumatic. I don't know what to do <laughs> now. So wh what do you think about the ending of this piece? I thought it was brilliant, a brilliant ending. It is. I mean, you know, even when he doesn't end a piece, it's obviously for a reason and it, it leaves the the listener with whatever feeling he intends them to feel and this is this is no different it's the same you obviously get the sense of it of at the end what it's supposed to be conveying to you at least emotionally and one thing i think that is noteworthy is that now we're a little bit further in time he's probably into his studio you know he's into his studio ghibli writing mm -hmm. and we see there's a the, the vocal aspect to this it's either women or children i you know i'm not sure which it is exactly but we're starting to hear like a melody you know right. what i mean it's like a very mm -hmm. very in your face this part is playing the melody and everything else is accompanying it right and i uh can't agree more i think that this is just beautiful lovely and super exciting and I can't get enough of this piece. I think that we should, we should talk about it more, but obviously we need to move on and take another break. Sponsored by our friends at Anchor. And if you would like to follow us on social media, here they are. We are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Facebook, and we are on TikTok. On Twitter, we are at MusicSpeaks underscore pod. On Instagram, you're MusicSpeaks underscore podcast. On Facebook, Music Speaks Podcast, and TikTok at Music Speaks underscore podcast. We post every Tuesday, so please check us out there. Hunter is grinning with excitement because we're going to talk about these next two pieces. Very exciting, and we will be right back, so stay with us. Okay, and we are back in our studios. Hunter at his house, mine at uh, my apartment. Um, we are here. We're talking about Joe Hisashi and Hunter, the last two of his featured film uh, pieces. Um, this one, Hunter, came out in 2010, and it is the movie uh -huh. Ocean Heaven, uh, the main theme from that. And here's the plot. After discovering he has less than five months to live, a father tries to prepare his autistic son for life without him. Ocean Heaven has had particularly good reviews, getting high ratings. The film also received a 4 out of 5 from the China Post site with a detailed and heartfelt review. 
Maggie Lee of The Hollywood Reporter compared the film to Together, called Ocean Heaven Empty. Interesting. The film also got reviewed by Peter Galvin of SBS Australia, who viewed it at the Sydney Chinese Film Festival. In his closing comments, Galvin said that it is not quite a realist film. Its world is too kind. Its cast, too tolerant. That coming from a very stuck-up man. Maybe <laughs> maybe a stick-up his own butt. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, you know, just like... Let's see. Who was I mentioning? Just like the last one with Welcome to Dogman Goal, Hunter. Some of his feature-length films are so relaxing and just so nice to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote, so patient, so expressive, and the voice that comes in is just so calm and so beautiful. I also wrote that I think that there's something really cool about the effect that Joe Asashi creates with the voices where he then adds echoes to the voices, which I think is very cool. And overall, I just love how positive and wonderful his music is. And I wrote, I quote, I quote myself yeah. here, Hunter. I wrote, overall, so positive <laughs> and wonderful is just so wonderful. That's what I wrote. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna put that out there for those to know that I am not the greatest writer of all, and that is the biggest, you know, fu moment to myself. No I'm kidding. Okay, um, Hunter, your thoughts. Well, the first thing that struck me was the vocal solo at the beginning after the piano opening, and sure. it really reminded me of the the song from Ponyo. Oh yeah, me too. I thought that which too. Is, yeah, that's interesting. Which is funny because this was 2010 and Ponyo was 2009, so it would have been around the same time. So now we can see the sort of again his melodic writing is coming more to the forefront mm -hmm. after his after his studio Ghibli work. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think we see a transition into a less. I don't want to say less minimalist, but in a way, we, we see some of the minimalism aspects starting to go move to the background, whereas the melody is coming more forward, um, mm -hmm. which is good mm -hmm. because, it, well, I mean, I, I like minimal, I like minimalism, but I also like this. But I think in a movie like this, it's helpful because minimalism can sometimes feel very impersonal, mm -hmm. whereas when you have a melody, it seems a little more heartfelt, seems right. a little more personal, especially mm -hmm. when you have a solo singer who's 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 uh, portraying it. Yeah, I feel so touched right now. Um, you saying that you love minimalism, I that that just kind of had my heart jump out of my chest. I was like, yes, oh, and I blame no. you. <laughs> That was beautiful. That was beautiful, my friend. Um, and Hunter, right at the end, that resolution is so nice. And no therapy session for this guy. No. Yeah. Except no, there's no trumpet, so maybe that's the one uh, downside. Yeah, I know. I know. You're he right. puts a flute at the end instead. Yeah, I know. I wish it was trumpet, but you know, flutes got to have their thunder at some point. Um, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, I wrote, people have been said to cry at this scene. Um, it's so passionate. And people have said that Joe's music can really allow for mixed feelings, mm -hmm. as we mentioned, maybe like a thousand times. Um, but it's simple. It's love. And, you know, 
it's alone, which has these mixed emotions, but it also feels like pure love and passion, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I actually think it's a very beautiful, touching scene that kind of adds to this canon of, of beautiful music. Um, and that's all I got to say about again. that. Yes, you know, it's very funny. I, um, I did a presentation on uh, Wednesday, and I quoted myself, and everyone laughed. <laughs> that's the way to do a presentation baby all right <laughs> um let's move along to the last song of our selection here today it is from the movie till the end of the world uh featuring the first movement which is called collapse um here's the plot of the movie an unbearably arrogant millionaire and self-contained scientist discover true love when they are stranded in a snowstorm for 75 days. Wow. Okay. As with most survival stories, Till the End of the World prompts consideration of fate and nature's indifference to mankind's plight. Although these themes are ultimately buried in an avalanche of sentimentality, still the film is so sincere in its tribute to human resilience that even the most hard-hearted audience member will be rooting for a happy ending. Try to say that five times fast. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I was actually surprised about this one. We had five slow, methodical, beautiful pieces, and then this one comes in and like, kind of like unleashes like hell. It's crazy. Um, I. What do you think? I mean, like, I, I've been talking for a while. Tell me what do you think. Well, I mean, I noticed in your notes, you again mentioned the the minimalism aspect of it. And yeah. I think that's the biggest difference between this one and the previous ones mm -hmm. is that this one is perhaps the most outwardly minimalist that, that I personally, I think. Sure. Just because it has this very, uh, it, it's not a lush sound to it like mm. a lot of his other stuff. It is a little more thinned out, right. but you do have some repeating ostinato sections throughout it, which, which, mm -hmm sort of are the crux of the piece right. and a lot of unison in terms of like between the instruments, which sometimes makes it seem a little thinner than it actually is. Um, but you really get the sense of like Ajita throughout the whole thing. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it was making me nervous because yeah. you could tell that mm -hmm. it's like not the most, mm -hmm. I mean, not that any of these movies were uplifting, but it's certainly one that is the most, <laughs> tense maybe tense. is the word i'm looking for. yeah i think so too i think that's where collapse comes in maybe the, yeah. the initial um sound um i wrote wow such ferocity and focus from all these musicians um entrances 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 man like he knows how to create entrances for instruments and have them be so identifiable and i feel like that is so amazing right. And I wrote, I want to play this, obviously, because I, I want to. Um, and there are some really cool moments that add to this minimalistic aspect, which adds in polyrhythms within other rhythms, which I, I think is brilliant. I mean, like, we have, like, one feel of, of one meter, and then, like, within that one meter, we add polyrhythms. And I know that I'm losing some people when I mention that word. And then some polymeter within one meter. So, I mean, like, faster meters within smaller meters and... I think that's that is such a cool aspect of of musical selections, and uh, 
you know, Hunter, you know, he makes so he makes such great transitions from one thing to another. Like he has this very like fast kind of crazy. And then he kind of switches over to like a more softer sound of like building. And I think it's really cool, you know, and I think that that adds to the selections and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and this whole piece, like it starts and ends with piano and chimes and then it just ends. Which <laughs> is again. Yeah. There's a neat, there is that neat chime thing throughout the whole piece which is really, un it can be very unsettling because right. it's almost like a siren or a warning bell. Right. And then we're, and then we're kind of like, Sean, you have to go back to therapy because we have to talk about these endings again. Um, <laughs> so I think that's kind of expressive and beautiful and wonderful. And I wrote damn as my last comment because I think it's very good. <laughs> very eloquent of you. Yeah, I know. I try just like you, my friend. Thank you. You can put that in your presentation. I did. I should put. I, I should. I should use that as like a like. I should quote myself when I say that. I should say, "Damn, very good." All right, uh, Joe Isashi, everybody. That's all I have on that one. Hunter, do you have anything else? No, I think that's it. You, you covered everything. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, and we will be back. But thank you again, Joe Isashi, and stay with us. And I want to thank Joe Hisashi again for being here. And when I say being here, I mean he's very like his spirit is here. His presence is felt. His presence is felt. I can't figure out why. And it is right here. And I am so happy to share his music with us and with you, the listeners. And Hunter, what do we learn about his music? when we listen to Joe or like you said more eloquently in the last episode we don't we always have learned something but like what is something we discover when we keep listening to more of his music I think you just discover the various ways and you, you, you learn the various ways in which emotion can be expressed you know what mm -hmm. I mean like everyone loves a good melody everyone mm -hmm. loves big swelling string sections but there's more ways motion can be expressed whether it's through minimalistic ideas whether it's through silence whether it's through cutoff endings you know it's it's all these different techniques that he employs right which bring out the the emotional side of whatever he's writing for yeah and i think just like you said i feel like i learn more about how we can use minimalism to our advantage like we can use it in so many different kinds of ways and not in one specific way and I think that's interesting about his music. And I'm very excited to continue this series because people are just talking about it, you know, on the radio. They're talking about it to their friends. They're Dying posting about it. Yeah, that's all they want. And Hunter, we're going to do another one, but we're going to do it on his classical repertoire next time. Ah. Very exciting. And uh, the next episode, I think we're going to do some more John Williams, I believe. Wow, that's so we'll get exciting. back to that. We'll continue with his career. And for everybody else, my name is Sean Rimkunis. Mary Haddix is here in spirit, but I am Hunter Sagona, and we will see you next time. And remember to keep listening to what you love.